on this episode. Spock weeps, O'Reilly sings, and Sulu runs with pointy things. I'm Captain Awesome. And I'm the Tribble Hippie. Welcome aboard. Take a station and find something to hold on to, because there's no seatbelts on this bridge. Hey everybody, welcome to No Seatbelts on the Bridge. Uh, this time we're going to be discussing the original series show, or episode, uh, The Naked Time. That's right, it's time to get naked. <laughs> I mean... With, and with Kirk, you thought, uh, could most of the episodes be named that? But, <laughs> you know, uh, this is uh, season one and episode five, uh, first aired on September 29th of 1966. Ooh, 1966. So the fact that they used the word naked probably really <laughs> bugged the censors. They were just like, wait, what is it called? We don't understand this show to begin with. And now you want to get naked? I don't think so. We're going to have to talk to UV Guide to see if they're even allowed to put that in there. <laughs> Actually, it probably was a problem. I'll be honest. <laughs> Man, that had to be weird. Uh, so this is the fifth episode uh, in airing order yeah and yes or no filming order airing order in yes. airing order yeah, yeah. Um, uh oh actually fourth Mark episode Daniels. fourth episode because the cage doesn't count so this is actually the fourth that was aired okay it's so produced fourth aired yeah fourth episode aired fifth episode produced yes okay so. will, there will be a quiz on this later all right <laughs> so this is directed by mark daniels who is the grandfather of uh, greg daniels oh no no he's not <laughs> I, I made that up. <laughs> could be, could be true, right? Um, according to Shatner in his his memoir, Mark Daniels was probably his favorite director as well as the cast favorite director. He thought uh, Mark Daniels really got the most out of the the characters in the cast. Hmm. I wonder how he did that. Like, was it like blackmail or something? Or <laughs> he just... Well, there'll be a couple of things we talked about. He seemed very open to actor. He seems very much like an actor's uh, director because there's some things that in this one and some upcoming things that uh, he, that basically just suggested. And he's like, yeah, that sounds great. Do that. <laughs> yeah. A lot of, a lot of actors talk about great directors and it always seems to be that like, yeah, I, I don't know. Try something. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's funny because uh, people who work for me don't like that. I do that. And <laughs> they'll be like, Hey, so how should we handle this problem? I'm like, I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> but, but, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, ah. this one was uh, actually written by one of the uh, producers of the show. Um, he was listed as a producer. He's actually the story editor, uh, John uh, D. F. Black. And D. F. Black. John D. F. Black. I wonder why D. F. Like, or maybe there's just too many John Blacks in the industry. I don't know. <laughs> it's kind of weird. I just, I, I love how intent people were on using middle initials and stuff. And, you know, I mean, obviously that, that comes to play with, uh, one of our most famous ones, DC Fontana, DC Fontana. Yeah. Uh, who was actually a, uh, a female writer and was credited as DC Fontana. So they didn't have to admit it. <laughs> Hopefully you got her a few more dollars in her paycheck too. Amen. <laughs> so black got so focused on writing this particular uh, episode, um, that his duties as the series story editor kind of fell back. And, uh, 
later he found out that Gene Roddenberry had rewritten some of his script without talking to him about it, which is, it seems like that's the third time we've that, we've had that discussion. <laughs> and it's going to happen again at least once one more, I know, because uh, Gene Roddenberry really had a habit of rewriting people and not telling them about it. So how many times does Gene Roddenberry get to be sexist, rewrite everything, and before people go, there might be a pattern here. <laughs> if nothing else, he gave us Star Trek. We're hey, only, hey we'll did, always you, did you know that all the women on their planet are naked? <laughs> Sorry. Gene, we can't, we can't do that. It's still television. Dude. Come on, man. It's called naked time. Let's do it. <laughs> I really want to tell you, try out this new pixelation uh, technology I've heard so much about. No, no, Gene. No, Gene. Please. We're not doing this. <laughs> Um, so this is also the only episode in which you're going to see, uh, all three of the female crew members together. That's that pretty cool. Ha- that won't happen again until the motion picture in 79. How crazy is that? I wonder if it was that they didn't like their chemistry or there really wasn't a reason for them all to be together or what it was. Cause I mean, you're, you're talking about a, uh, communications officer on the bridge. Like that's really popular. Uh, Yeoman Rand who, I'm not really sure what her job is, but <laughs> she's everywhere. And then Nurse Chapel. I mean, if the doctor tells us anything, there's always a reason for medical personnel to be on the bridge. So there's plenty of opportunity for the three of them to be in, in the same scene. And the fact that it didn't happen for what, nine or uh, 13 years? That's kind of crazy. <laughs> well, you, you got to figure in a lot of that, uh, a lot of that uh, William Shatner. R- really, the scene isn't about me. Why isn't this scene about me? <laughs> you know, if if you remove one, maybe two of the women, there'd be more screen time for me. Now, one thing I was surprised by is that this episode originally was supposed to be a two-parter. Um, this was originally supposed to be the first half, and the second half will be an episode, actually, tomorrow is yesterday, in which the Enterprise does go back in time. Hmm. picks up an air force officer blah 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 it was actually supposed to be these two stories smashed together but they separated them into separate separate episodes which that is interesting especially in a, a lot because i never did understand why they went back in time at the end of this episode i i never i never could figure out why that was why that was in there huh at the end of this episode at the end of this episode they go back in time a little like three days I did not get that. Yeah. They look at the chronometer and they're like, hey, the chronometer is going backwards because they implode the engines. And yeah. so he's going, hey, the chronometer is going backwards. And then Spock at the end is like, we've gone back 70 hours. We have the next three days to live again. You know what? I, it just did not impress upon me that they were going back in time. I wonder how that played out back in 66. I wonder if that would, because I mean, now obviously we take a lot of crap for granted in <laughs> in the sci-fi universe, but I, I I wonder how that played back then. If people were like, wait, what did he say? Because honestly, <laughs> I glazed over completely and missed it. It's easy to do because it has absolutely no effect on the rest of the story. Yeah, you're right. Like I said, that's, that's why I always wondered until we did this and I started reading up on it. It was like, oh that now makes sense because I never could figure out why did you tack this ending on it? It seems like you could have put in some more Spock weeping scenes here, but you know, with the minutes he used at the end. <laughs> and uh, that is bizarre. Huh? 
You know, it, it's also interesting that it was a two-parter, uh, just given the fact that, uh, or that it was intended to be a two-parter, given the fact that back then, it really wasn't that common to do it to be continued on a TV show. Uh, they were yes. really intent yeah. on serializing everything. And the fact that, that they did an arc, uh, or wanted to do an arc, I think is, is really interesting. I mean, obviously, that's going to happen pretty quickly in the, in the series, that they'll end up doing arcs, but Wow. Uh, it's, uh, to be doing that in 66, that's pretty, that's pretty crazy. Yeah. And this early in the show, I mean, this is only the fourth, you know, broadcast episode, what it ended up being, right. but it was one of the first scripts written. So they haven't yeah. decided what type of uniforms to wear yet. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, at the beginning of this, they're orbiting Psi 2000. Great. Name. <laughs> uh, it's spelled P S I. So I'm just going to go out on a limb and say, we're going to keep the hits coming that, we do mental control <laughs> at some point. I thought it had something to do with their, their monitor resolutions. They're just like, ah, I don't know. PSI 2000. <laughs> Go with that. You know, somebody actually uh, uh, wrote to me and, and wanted to ask a question about this that, you know, is it possible for Starfleet to give even the most basic of psychological training and psychic training to their to their people. Like if they're, if they know they're going to run into so much ESP and mind control in general, <laughs> like just a pamphlet or something like, you know, godlike mind powers in you, <laughs> like, there's gotta be something they could do. It seems like it would be, yes. As much as it happens, it does seem like it would be addressed somewhere in the manual. Right. I mean, the U S military has done psychic training at some point. <laughs> I, I can't imagine that Starfleet wouldn't have been like, you know, we've met a lot of people with pulsing brains. Maybe we ought to do this. By the time Picard comes around, hey, I'm going to have one on the bridge. Exactly. <laughs> right. And she actually tells people how to withstand stuff. She's like, all right, here's how I want you to handle this. <laughs> it's amazing. So anyway. Psy 2000 is a planet that's tearing itself apart and the Enterprise is stopped by to pick up some nerds that were living there and to watch it all. I mean, that makes sense. <laughs> Gotta pick up the nerds. Can't leave the nerds on planets. Now, this place does look pretty terrible. Um, it's, it is interesting as they, they come in. Uh, the, the, so we watched the remastered version on Paramount. Yes. And the remastered version... The opening scene on the planet is a snowy atmosphere and there's a station that is up on a cliff and, you know, it looks awful. <laughs> um, thankfully, they're not trying to use a duck blind, so we don't have to worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> now, apparently in the original version that was not remastered, all they really did is spliced in a scene of a, uh, uh, a, a winter desert. <laughs> winter desert what's the word i'm looking for the tundra yes and it was just a scene of a place that was cold there was no station there was no any idea that there were people there whatsoever <laughs> and they they blew a couple of uh uh fire extinguishers and a fan by it just to have a make it look like there was wind and snow you know some sort of snow going by i mean that's what it's really like when a in a really snowy place right <laughs> I have to say, as someone who comes from a really snowy place, when they did the remaster, I, I'll say, yeah, that, that looked cold. <laughs> that didn't look fun at all. <laughs> so then our next shot is Spock. And Spock looks jaunty in a brand new outfit. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. 
And these are made exactly what you, out of exactly what you would think when you see them. It's shower curtains. Oh, it's an entire hazmat suit made of shower curtains. It's so good. And very 60s mod shower curtains too. Okay, so I have to admit though, the the um costume designer did a really great job with this in in well, a, a really great and really awful job with this. So, on the really great side, this is a a red shower curtain with little gold rings on it, like in the design. Yes. And somehow they cut a hole in the shower curtains material to reveal his face, but left the gold rings on there for him to look through. Like it was a screen. Absolutely. Fantastic job of making use of the materials. That said there, rather than have the, the bottom of the uh, helmet tuck into the rest of the clothing in any way, (laughs) it was just an open flap that they could reach their hands into. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I'm totally I'm totally sealed up except for my head, right? I mean, but what's going to happen? <laughs> it's it's like the the COVID deniers, you know. It's like, oh well, you know what the real problem is? Is I can't breathe, <laughs> so I'll just leave it open right there at the most important part. <laughs> Nobody's ever proven that wearing these things on an alien planet has saved one life. We're gonna get letters, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing they uh, they spot a bunch of people there's a guy frozen at the desk and then there's a woman who has been strangled and frozen in the hallway the woman is actually a mannequin that they used for this which robert justman i believe you mean a woe mannequin woe mannequin <laughs> sorry that was bad <laughs> um robert justman uh liked the uh, the um the prop so much that he took it back to his office and propped it up next to the two Gordon, two Gordon co- costumes that he had in there. But then also he liked to place it in places like the uh, shower and the writer's uh, um, bathroom to scare people and things of that nature. He, he got a lot of mileage out of uh, this particular mannequin. Okay. So some guy with a mean streak putting a mannequin all over the office. That's not really that weird, but the writers have their own shower. <laughs> like, that's kind of weird. Have you ever seen writers? Okay, fair. <laughs> fair, fair, fair. Listen, I don't care if we get them free food, but we're getting them a shower. <laughs> so Spock investigates the mannequin to try to see what happened. And he's like, ooh, she's dead. <laughs> and then he, he scans her to try to figure out what's going on. And he points this thing at her that it, it looks like a Pringles tube on a pistol <laughs> grip. It's real weird looking, but it, and it turns out that it is in fact a tw- an old style 20th century radiation survey meter uh, that for some reason was referred to as the cutie pie. <laughs> <laughs> they did repaint it to make it look cooler, but yeah, it's, it's straight up a real radiation uh, detector. I thought that was kind of <laughs> cool actually. Yeah, yeah. There's gonna, later on. There's another prop that kind of comes out like that as well. So they look around, and it looks like some sort of party's been going on here. I really like that. Uh, that Joe, the other officer that's with Spock, comes back and tells him, "Oh, you're gonna have to see this. A guy was in a shower with his clothes on." And Spock just jumps up and like, <laughs> oh, "This I gotta see, Jinkies! I gotta see that." <laughs> <laughs> All right, I, uh, 
now we get into the epitome of the hazmat suits. <laughs> Joe's looking around. He's scanny, 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 scanny. Oh, my nose is itchy. So what does he do? He takes off his gloves, touches something, and then rubs it on his nose. <laughs> reaches inside his mask and just starts rubbing his face and it's like dude even i everybody knows that's not gonna be okay even in the 60s people were at home going oh man you should not have done right now joe is played by joe tormalone is the name of the character and he's played by Stuart moss um he'll Stuart moss is an actor he'll return in season two um as hanar one of the aliens that turn people into little gray cubes. Um, he worked some in sixties and seventies television, a couple of cannons, a couple of Barnaby Jones, eight episodes of Hogan's heroes. Uh, his last credit was in 93 and he passed away in 2017. He did a lot of, uh, um, stage direction. Um, and he even talks about this particular scene because he read it and he went to Mark Daniels, the director and says, Okay, so my character would have to at least be a PhD <laughs> to be an officer in Starfleet, right? <laughs> so he would probably know better than to take off his glove, touch something, and then touch his face. Mark Daniels told him, "Yeah, you're. You know what? You're not wrong. But if you don't do it, we don't have a story to show." And and Miles was like, "Yeah, okay, good point." <laughs> okay, my only problem with that is like as. Had nobody that had worked on the show ever like gotten snagged on a nail or something? Like they really <laughs> easily could have had the suit got compromised easily. Yes. And instead they went with, I'm so stupid. I touch my face. <laughs> <sighs> the only thing I can figure is I wanted it to be done in such a way that nobody would suspect anything. So they don't know about it until things get really bad. True. True. But I'm now, just, the crazy thing about this is the the way that they so Joe takes off his glove, he touches the side of the console, and what he doesn't notice is some stuff gets on his hand. The way that that happens is really cool, actually. Yes, um, they did a really cool drippy effect, and I mean it's really pretty obvious what's going on. They've got some corn syrup, red liquid, <laughs> and they're dripping it on his hand. But they turned the camera in such a way that it looked like his hand was getting dripped on from below. And it just kind of was like seeking him out and sticking to him. It was pretty cool effect, actually. Yes. So do you think this indicates that this thing was a life form? The I way it moves? Do, actually. I kind of okay. think that, that it might have been alive. Um, now, once the stuff got on his hand, though, and he's like, ow, my hand hurts. I don't know why <laughs> I instantly decided to sniff it. I, mean, <laughs> I, I know when, when I'm in the garage and I hurt my hand, I don't go. That's weird. <laughs> I go, ow, and look at my hand first. And notice the sentient blood that's crawling up my hand. Well, Spock comes in after uh, witnessing the uh, guy taking a shower in his clothes and immediately says, you know, expose yourself to nothing. And Joe just kind of looks around, you know, uncomfortably. <laughs> Spock, really kind of missed the, Spock really made the tragic error for not specifically saying, you didn't take off your gloves and touch anything and then touch your face, did you? <laughs> you didn't take off your glove and touch your face again, did you, Joe? <laughs> I don't know why we be bringing you down to planets. <laughs> uh. Uh, and so then he calls Kirk and he's like, Hey, um, 
Yeah, this is weird. We've never seen this before. <laughs> it's like nothing we've dealt with before. And I'm thinking, no, I've seen a documentary about Woodstock. And there's this <laughs> whole thing about the brown acid. Don't take the brown acid. You're not dying. It's just really bad stuff. You know, it's like, <laughs> no, I think I think humanity's dealt with this sort of thing before. <laughs> Spock to Kirk, we're going to need orange slices. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to be okay, man. <laughs> also, um if this is like nothing they've dealt with before, why did they show up with hazmat suits on? <laughs> Pretty sure they knew there was something going down here because every other episode of star Trek, they just beam right in. They're like, Oh yeah. It's, it smells fine here. <laughs> well, my clothes are clean. They'll, they'll, they'll protect me. Right. <laughs> so I did figure out when watching the opening credits that that ship is not really going sideways. That's, He's totally just like, hey, check this out. And he's just skidding sideways everywhere he goes. <laughs> it's a drift, drift. right? <laughs> I like it. Rice a drift. <laughs> Fast and Furious 500. <laughs> Starship drift. So it's we get done with that. Movie. And then we get our voiceover. Hey, voiceover. And, oh, we finally get a start date, too, because when we start this, Kirk just totally skips the start date. He's kind of like being sloppy this time. So we got a start date of 1704.2, which basically tells us nothing. Um, we know it. this happens in 2266, because in general, everything in Star Trek follows the year that it was filmed, blah, 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 blah. So 20, mm-hmm. 1966, 2266, there we go. And... <clears throat> Kirk lets us know, hey, we're going to monitor this planet while we, you know, while it's falling apart. And while he's doing that, he seems to be at his seat organizing his cassette collection or something. He did seem like super bored and like he's moving around all these little colored blocks, which I can only assume are supposed to be data things. (laughs) I I don't know. So I I work for a company. We got, I think I've said this before, we got the, the full size Kirk chair. It's a full replica. It's it's really cool. We all you know took turns sitting in it. You gotta you gotta do the lean when you do it. Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, it came with a bunch of those little colored blocks, <laughs> and it's got a slot that you put them in. And we kept losing the things all the time. But <laughs> but I mean, there is something fun about it. I understand why Shatner would do this because there's something fun about sitting down in that chair and being like, slot one in. Nah, let's let's do a different. One. Slot another one in. Even though you know they do absolutely nothing. <laughs> Although our replica chair uh, made a cool little deedle deedle noise every time you inserted a block. Oh, Granted, there. If you shoved your finger in there, it did the same thing, but still it was cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, so uh, Spock and Joe beam up and Spock's like, Scotty, deca- decontaminate us. And they flash the lights for a while. Um, <laughs> that was cool. This is before anybody thought about the fact that we just took everybody apart molecule by molecule. (laughs) I just, I just want to say I'm really glad at this point with Spock and Joe that we're not doing it the way that we did in Jonathan Archer's day, which means they both would have been almost totally naked in a room rubbing goo on each other. Ooh, a Vulcan and a human man. Getting on a ship and rubbing each other down with, with, uh, gel. <laughs> God, I, I prefer the flashing lights. Listen, enterprise is one of my favorite shows. It's really Agreed. good. That scene 
made me feel dirty, made me feel like I just contributed to them being gross. (laughs) (laughs) No, I totally get you. It was one of those things of like, why? Right. Why? I'm not going to lie. I know I felt as an adult rewatching it. (laughs) First time I watched it, I was like, yeah, that's pretty cool. Anyway. (laughs) So we uh, head on over to sick bay. Um, (laughs) So it makes me sad that the doctor was so invisible at this time uh, because like it's bones, right? He is one of the most valuable characters that's ever going to be on the show. They didn't even introduce him. He's just there. He's now the third doctor that's been on the show. I think they were counting on though, the man trap to kind of give you his whole, since the man trap was largely focused on him. I guess, but I I totally get, get what you mean because we just have, we have Dr. Piper in the last episode, just out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we don't explain any of that. No, it's, uh, it, it's kind of nuts. The, the whole thing is just, it, it just makes me feel like he's a throwaway character. And I mean, at this part, at this point, they've thrown away so many doctors that it's possible. <laughs> they really believed he was, but Which I'm glad he wasn't because I mean, it, of the original Bones. series Bones right. probably my favorite character. So I don't know. Uh, Joe's just like, completely checked out um, and then we get a uh, we get a taste of the classic uh, spock bones of vaudeville act you know your body's weird no i'm awesome you know uh, <laughs> I, I love how uh when they first started doing this routine um it was like the writers were like just throwing as much as they could in there well may- maybe he's got like i don't know weird hands <laughs> maybe he's got six toes oh that's that's so weird how, how many hearts is he? I don't know. Let's, let's figure it out. It just, it's bizarre. I just like the whole thing that, I mean, obviously since Bach was on board, Bones knows something about Vulcan anatomy, but he constantly throughout the entire show acts like, I have no idea what's going on with your body. Not my right. responsibility. You know, Listen, Mabenga, it's, it's not, not my job to do homework. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a doctor, not a doctor. <laughs> And Lear comes out, he's like, oh, no, I knew all about Vulcan anatomy. I just don't like you. That, that right. Is- <laughs> now, I do like that this is really bone sick bay now, though, because mm-hmm. last episode, everything was kind of blank in the in the sick bay. And now now we got a nice uh, uh, kind of clouded glass display, multicolored uh, lit of uh, bottles, which you figure at least half of those are booze. Oh, um, at least. I mean, <laughs> we know all about Bones. At this point, he looks sober. But he's really minute. done some decorating here. <laughs> <laughs> They're about to turn the heat up, and he's going to start sweating. <laughs> I don't know. So then Joe's sitting there, and he looks like he's like just got sap all over his hands. He's just constantly rubbing in his hands, and it's just... Uh, I gotta say, I'm I'm a person who can't stand sticky, and I watch these people as they're wiping their hands, and all I can think is sticky, sticky, sticky. Oh, I kept on thinking cotton candy. Right, I just wanted to wash my hands constantly. <clears throat> and so, so Joe tells the captain it was horrible because those people didn't care about anything at all. They died of apathy. <laughs> and and oh yeah, by the way, uh, I'm not sure I should be working in space. <laughs> we just i just want to throw that out there right there yes right and, and kirk reminds him yeah yeah you don't want to work in space you're still here but you don't want to work in space <laughs> totally get it, dude. 
<laughs> I find the, the the whole dialogue between these two about uh, how everybody was so apathetic totally reminded me of that uh, that part of uh, Serenity when they finally figure out what the Reavers are all about in the Firefly universe. And uh, they, they do the same thing. They're walking around this planet and they're like, everybody just laid down and died. <laughs> and it just, it gave me that same feeling that I was like, you know what? Um, I, I think maybe they watched this episode. <laughs> I'm just saying it's completely possible. Um, then we get our first appearance of Majel Barrett as nurse chapel. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> now this, so nurse chapel shows up and she's got that like silvery blonde hair. I don't know if I would go as far as platinum, but yeah, it doesn't look quite that expensive. Um, <laughs> now, it turns out that the reason for that is because before she was cast in the episode, Majel Barrett, who we already know the, uh, the, the big, big wigs at the network were like, no, nope, she's out. She was like, I can absolutely play the part of nurse chapel. So she actually, um, talked to a friend of hers and was like, I can do this. And so she got her hair, uh, bleached, and she went into the Star Trek offices and she actually got by Gene Roddenberry, who she was dating. <laughs> <laughs> and he didn't recognize her. Um, she was convinced that if she could fool him, she could fool NBC. So she went in and did her audition. When they took a f- the first look at it, they were like, that's Major Barrett. <laughs> <laughs> And apparently uh, Jerry Stanley, who was one of the executives, was like, well, 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 look who's back. (laughs) (laughs) But at the end of the day, they liked her enough. They kept her in. So, you know, uh, serendipity comes in weird packages, I guess. (laughs) So Joe, before he leaves the the. the sick bay, he's doing that thing where he's looking at his hand. And I, and I mean, really, really looking at his hand. <laughs> Do you ever notice hands are weird? <laughs> <laughs> so we go over to the briefing, uh, briefing room uh, and, uh, and you got all the big wigs sitting around uh, talking about what's going on. And uh, I, I, I love that they're all looking at the center screen. We no longer have the big screen television that we had before. <laughs> now we got a small screen that's uh, pointing three different ways. And uh, I really like that that um, Kirk acts for the next next tape, and Rand tells him that she's giving him the spectro analysis, and no. it, it's just it's just a video camera shot of the place. It's- <laughs> yeah, I why call it spectral analysis? Do they not know what spectral analysis is? Because it ain't just a picture. Yeah. I thought that was it. Was like, uh, yeah, but we need some sort of sciencey word in there, so. Right. And Spock, Spock comes out and tells him, you know, they use the computer room like it was amusement gallery, which I think is like, oh, this is just a land party that went horribly wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so Bones is like, well, it's not drugs. Um, I've used a lot of drugs and I'm telling you, it ain't like that. <laughs> I, I, I searched the entire place for their stash, came up with nothing. <laughs> <laughs> stuff i got in my cabinet in my office is way better i really love that smog says well it could be some sort of space madness we haven't heard before well first of all they were on a planet so why would it be space madness it's right they're they're not in space <laughs> so um 
how many types of space madness are there? <laughs> this is clearly, uh, you know, space madness number four. Yeah, I like, do you call it like something space madness or space madness number something? Or how, how do you classify it? Like space madness alpha? All I can say, if as anybody is at a used bookstore and they happen to see the psychiatric catalog of space madnesses, please let us know. Right? <laughs> I'd like to Ooh. know how they differ from old-fashioned planet madness. Okay, so we always get the technical manuals from the engineers on the ship. That would be good. A book of space madness by, <laughs> by Bones. <laughs> NBC Publishing, if you're listening. Ah, uh, ah. Uh? Okay. <laughs> so and the, but spock says well even if it was a space madness you know something had to cause it so and we didn't find anything yeah <laughs> and, and scotty's getting he was like well yeah your track card is just measure you know they don't measure everything do they I, scotty seems a little scotty like, such a jerk <laughs> <laughs> scotty seems a little like uh you you yellow shirts don't know what you're doing Right. <laughs> well, I wonder if it's that, or if Gene was really trying to lean hard into the, everybody hates Spock. Cause it, it seems like everybody was really just digging on Spock constantly in the first half of the season. And I, I think it, cause he was always trying to push the, the whole, everybody's unified, blah, 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 but humans are humans. And so, and so there's like, a little bit of, yeah. A little bit of racism thrown in there, constantly bagging on the on the Vulcan, and you know he's never really going to be accepted, kind of thing. I don't know. It just seems like they really bagged on him a lot. Oh yeah, Matt, that will when we hit Balance of Terror, that will really come to the head because yeah. that's one of the main themes of the of the uh, that episode. So no, that's a very good point, and they even carried that over into Enterprise as oh, a, totally. as part of the prequel of of a very very difficult alliance between Vulcans and humans. Well, I think 100 years before this when Enterprise is going on or is it 150 years at this point? It's about 100 years, I believe. Yeah. Um I, I got to say those people I totally understand them having something against the Vulcans. Because at that point, you know, Archer goes into that really detailed that hey, the Vulcans have been they've basically had their boot on our neck the entire time since we've met them True, and have yeah. told us what we're allowed to do and what we're not allowed to do. So they totally, I can see that, that, uh, that being there at this point though, I don't know. The Vulcans are more of an ally and everybody's kind of in the same boat. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it is just the, the last vestiges of, of racism left over from that. Anyway. Yeah. And I always wondered exactly how the Vulcans felt about the humans taking basically being Starfleet and being the, the major, the major logistics and defensive, uh, uh, power within the yeah. Federation, uh, that I've always thought that was kind of a, now oh, alternatively to your point though, uh, they, they did kind of set up a class system in this show between the bridge people and the, the people who do work. Right. Yes. And, and it's, it, it is interesting because it, it very much is, you can see that I don't know if it was the the writer's perception or what, but the the concept of the blue collar versus the white collar was real heavy in this. Yes, and it took a long time until they evened that out. Honestly, I don't think it really evened out until TNG. And even, and even there, it's, and even there, it's it's there's a certain you have a certain level of the bridge officers and the and the command mm-hmm. officers and 
I think TNG did a better job of making it more of management versus employees. Uh, yeah. Of, uh, Cause like it, it very much felt like, you know, I got to go talk to the boss, not, I, you know, oh, I'm going to go talk to those pencil necks <laughs> upstairs, you know, because Scotty totally is going to talk to the pencil necks. That's like his thing all the time. <laughs> oh, I got to go talk to those bastards. Oh. When we're the ones doing the real work. Right. Um, so then we, we get out of here. We go to the rec room and of course <laughs> everybody's playing chess. I love the very first scene because you have the couple there that's looking just incredibly bored. I'm thinking it's nice to see that, you know, awkward first dates are going to survive, you know, 200 years from now, you know, be the humanity, you know? (laughs) Yeah. But I, I got to wonder, because once again, it is the, the woman just isn't really into it. If it's a cerebral (laughs) activity, they, they hit that so hard on this show. Yeah. Yeah. And of course the dude is just like, Oh yeah. yeah chess. I, I got this. I got this. And she's <laughs> like, uh-huh, whatever. <laughs> I don't know. This so, is. So this once again, is. the, uh, the, um, you're carrying cards around. Joe well, goes yeah. over to the replimat, throws a card in. So again, do we not trust the enterprise computer so much to keep our recipes even? Which is would be ironic because of the ID. Ah, it's his, it's his, uh, it's his food card. I gotcha. So the thing that bugged me about this was, uh, not so much that he had to put a card in, but that he put a card in, didn't say anything or push any buttons or anything. And he got a meal and it's just, okay. He didn't ask at all. He just got food. What is the food? (laughs) He didn't make a choice. The computer's just like, here is your ration. Right. And it gives him some crap. And worst case scenario, it's orange chicken. Like you can see it on the plate. That is so orange chicken. And that's all he's eating this entire voyage is orange chicken. But it came out of a replicator. There was no mention of chef, no mention of a galley. It came out of a replicator. Yes. Someone someone on the internet made mention that this is the only scene in which replicated food is shown steaming. Yep. <laughs> and it's kind of cool. There's a little puff of steam. And I, I have to admit when I first saw it, I was like, something's off there. I didn't know what it was, but <laughs> yeah, it's just kind of cool. And then of course, Joe can't wash his hands enough. So. <laughs> out, out damn spot. Oh my God. <laughs> and then Sulu and Riley enter. Oh, they're good buddies. They are good buddies. They work next to each other. Not they're good friends. Not like the uh, uh, Gary Mitchell and uh, and Lee in the last episode, in which oh. Gary couldn't stand the guy sitting to him so much that he spared everybody, but the dude he was <laughs> <used> to. <laughs> Damn it, Lee! Stop tapping your pen. That's it. I'm taking away your face. <laughs> so uh, Riley was go- was uh, set to be a regular character that just didn't really happen. Um, he's played by Bruce Hyde. Uh, he's only in actually two episodes. They really thought uh, he might be more than that, but he's in this one in Conscious of the King. Uh, he did not do a lot of television. Um, in fact, from 19, IMDb shows no credits for him from 1966 to 2010. Uh-huh. Uh, but he taught acting and was chair of the Theater of Film and Studies and Dance Department at St. Cloud University in St. Cloud, Minnesota. 
and uh, passed away in 2015. Hmm. That's, I mean, it sounds like he enjoyed his life, but it kind of sucks that he didn't get too many more TV uh, spots. They kind of, and that they passed him up to continue on this show. Yeah, it was one of those things. It it seems that he's, it it was odd because he was such a striking character that it really kind of seemed like he was being set up for, for more things to come. Yeah. Oh, well. Um, so they sit down with, uh, uh, with Spock at the, at the table with Joe or with Joe. Sorry. I did it again. (laughs) They sit down with Joe (laughs) and, uh, it's, it's the shirt colors. I can't tell. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? If everybody was wearing beige, I would totally. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And someday we're going to find out exactly when Starfleet got rid of the nautical reds, why they went red being command and yellow and gold being support when in the 23rd century, it's just the opposite. I like to believe that somewhere around the 2250s, there was an uprising and the, uh, the, the red shirts were like, no more losing red shirts. And they all, (laughs) they, they rose up and took control and took command and they they made all the commanders go down and work in the bowels of the ship, and they had to to really figure out how to be engineers all on their own. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. <laughs> I like that. You you've got it. <laughs> Rationalization. <laughs> and I, I kind of want to watch that show. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, <laughs> so crucial mistake happens here. Um, our good buddy Sulu <laughs> says. Get off my back. You don't outrank me. <laughs> oh, so Joe says this to Sulu, which, or sorry, Joe says it to Sulu. Yeah. <laughs> which it was like, well, no dude, look at your, look at your wrist. Yeah. They're actually wearing the braids, <laughs> which is funny because when they were being so strict about rank in previous episodes, they didn't have braids yet. <laughs> now that they have braids, they totally screwed it up. <laughs> so Joe is actually a Lieutenant junior class. And this is the, in the original series, this is the only Lieutenant Junior class we're going to see. Just Joe. So Aww. I'm starting to figure why he's really so ticked off at this point. Right. <laughs> Kirk's like, um, yeah, you get a promotion. Uh, junior <laughs> class. Yeah, junior. <laughs> you are the Harry Kim of your era, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, poor Harry. <laughs> so Joe goes all existential on them, starts doing the, hey, what are we doing out here? We're all a bunch of hypocrites. And, you know, man isn't meant to fly in space. And and then he pulls a knife on Sulu. However, this isn't this isn't an I'm going to stab you knife. This is more of a I'm going to smear you knife. <laughs> I got a butter knife. Everybody back <laughs> off. <laughs> Uh, by God, I have a, t- a tub of cream cheese and I'm not afraid to use it. <laughs> <laughs> so Riley and Sula are like, no, and they jump at him and they start trying to wrestle the butter knife away. Cause you know, he, cause you gotta get rid of the butter. Uh, and everybody else in the room is just going, boy, that's kind of weird. And they're watching yeah, the butter knife. They're like, what's wrong with Riley and Sula? <laughs> Those guys from the bridge, they have overstepped their bounds yet again. Right? They're harassing Joe. Listen, I know Sulu likes sword fighting, but come on. (laughs) So they all fall down, and (laughs) it appears that 
Joe spilled some punch on himself because there's absolutely no way that freaking knife penetrated his skin. <laughs> oh, it's the worst makeup job. Oh my God. <laughs> he just, he hits the ground and they do the classic, like everybody gets up and he rolls over and, Oh, I've been stabbed. He's holding a <laughs> knife and the, I don't know what they used for blood. But it was, you're right, it was purple. It it looked like he fell on his pen. (laughs) It was so bad. So O'Reilly calls for the medics, and now his hands are sticky. (laughs) That's that's not good. And he he like the way he did it is he held his hand up to the camera. (laughs) Which is great because there's nothing on his hand. (laughs) My hand is sticky. (laughs) So (laughs) excuse me. It's it's kind of one of those scenes of, you know, when you ask, you know, a a three-year-old or four-year-old, did you wash your hands? You know. (laughs) I washed my hands. (laughs) <laughs> so we're back at the office and Kirk needs everybody at their bleeding edge best. Okay. <laughs> you know what I say when my boss says that? Cool. <laughs> so Spock tells us the planet's shrinking and go destroying, you know, being destroyed faster than they expected. Now, one thing about this though, we need to, the whole thing is we need to keep in a tight orbit around this planet that is destroying itself to get these sensor readings. Yeah. This is again, working into my theory that Jim Kirk was an extremely unpopular person in Starfleet and they mm-hmm. really, really tried to kill him. Right. Hey Kirk, um, we need to study a black hole. <laughs> Now, here's the thing. We gave you a ship that's got real crappy sensors, so I'm going to need you to, yeah, can you go around the rim of that black hole? Thanks. Get really close to it. Really close to it. I got to figure this is one of the reasons why most of Starfleet hated Spock. We tried and tried right. and tried to get Kirk's stupidity to kill him and every flipping time to either <laughs> that stupid bumpkin doctor or that guy with pointy ears just oh. pulls his butt out of the fire. You know what it is? The truth is Spock died because section 31 killed him. So he would stop saving Kirk's life. <laughs> I'm telling you, I figured it out. Terry Metalis, are you listening to this? We had an entire new series already set. <laughs> <laughs> all right so <laughs> so the the biggest problem is is that nobody on this ship washes their hands exactly again it's playing right into the hole right <laughs> riley and sulu they're just like gross my hands are gross <laughs> <laughs> but i'm just there- gonna keep on hitting buttons with <laughs> right <laughs> spock's looking over like um could you wipe that down please <laughs> So Spock starts going in about Joe and talked about, I mean, he was always kind of nutty, but not, not nutty like this. Um, I mean, the biggest issue we had with him is on his last performance review. I had to reprimand him for taking his gloves off and wiping his nose on. (laughs) (laughs) But past that, the guy was solid. Right. (laughs) All right. So now we're going to head over to the sick bay and we get introduced to my favorite character of the series. 
sweaty bones. <laughs> Sweaty Bones, who, okay, I got to give Chapel this. She's such a good nurse. He does not have to ask for a tool once. He just puts out his hand and she slaps something in it and they just keep going. Right. He's like, no, next, next, (laughs) next. (laughs) Also, she started sweating just as bad as he did. Yeah. I don't know what they were doing. I mean, it was, it was a critical surgery. must've been real scary. And, and why is, why is Joe dying? That's a good question. Maybe it's because Bones keeps jamming stuff into him. <laughs> Whatever Chapel hands him. He's like, uh, this is a bone saw. Nah, <laughs> I'm not sure which order these goes. I'm just trying to use them as she hands them to me. <laughs> hey, this is just my metal straw. I'm trying to be earth conscious here. What are you doing? <laughs> this is my lighter. Don't give that to me. <laughs> <laughs> So the planet continues to slap the Enterprise around because, again, the Enterprise is trying to orbit it very, very low. It's like the planet reached out and grabbed us. (laughs) You want to quit with all the science terms, Sulu? (laughs) (laughs) And Riley is kind of, I don't know, checking his phone or something. Kirk has to flip the one button that Riley is supposed to do as part of his job. And which sets it about it. This is this is a an ongoing thing in Star Trek. Uh, oh, you're stupid! I'm going to push the button for you. <laughs> How many times are we going to see that? Because it's over and over again, and it doesn't stop with this show. It happens on TNG. It happens on DS9. It happens on Voyager. There's always move. <laughs> I imagine with Uhura on her. Aurora knew her setup so well. I'm sure that there were a couple of buttons she disconnected that she knew he would hit just so it wouldn't mess up the rest of her stuff. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hit that one there. That one. Right. Yeah. That. She told him when she, when she got on the ship, she's like, listen, <laughs> this button right here, this is the one that gets the job done. Whenever I'm having trouble, I just push this button. And it makes things better. <laughs> so every time he pushes her out of the way, he pushes that button. <laughs> And she smirks to herself and keeps right on moving. Right. <laughs> so Bones cannot, for the life of him, figure out why Joe's dying. He's jammed as many things inside that dude as he can, and none of it's working. Yeah. So all of Joe's levels just hit zero. All of it's just the entire equalizer just right down to the bottom. I learned something new about this prop. This is pretty cool. Ooh. Uh, if you notice on, on those early episodes, if you look at the, uh, the overhead monitor in sick bay, those little level pointers, they're kind of shaky. Sometimes there's a reason for that rather than come up with a way to move those things around. There's literally two, two guys back there moving those up and down with their hands. (laughs) So every once in a while, like one of them will hang up and get stuck or something. And you can see it just barely. It's pretty good stuff. Man, how do you put that on a resume? Right. I, I, <laughs> I was I was the meter mover on uh, Star Trek in the sick bay. It wasn't a speaking part, but. <laughs> yeah, I think you've seen my work. <laughs> so anyway, so. Tells Captain tells Jim, hey, get down here because we got to talk. Not Joe. <laughs> so um i i also really like that they're on the bridge and they're like hey let's try to figure out how to stay on this course we'll use the computer to do it <laughs> tell the computer how to do it 
<laughs> brain the size of a planet. Uh, I just, I no concept whatsoever of the reason it's a computer is you don't have to do that. <laughs> Even in the sixties, that's what it meant. It's going to do the math for you. <sighs> anyway. <laughs> also, uh, if at that moment when he's saying that, if you look behind Kirk, it's like they made Uhura's tunic even smaller. Cause I had not even noticed this until, until you wrote the notes on it and I rewatched it and I have to agree with you. Right. You're almost looking at butt cheek. Like yeah. she's, she, and I, you can tell like she's sitting there really, really still. Yes. It's bugging her. <laughs> <laughs> that could not have been comfortable to work in. Oh my God. Anyway. Uh, so <laughs> then Kirk asked Scotty to, tie the engines to the helm which um isn't that kind of like what the helm is yeah. so, uh, all i can think is scotty is so distrustful of the mamby bambies on the bridge so it's like you want warp you're gonna call down here no you're yeah, not, right? not just gonna get a button and make my engines go you're gonna call down here and i'll tell you whether or not we're going to warp He's like, you warped through three systems in one day. Not okay. I swear the Enterprise is just filled with all sorts of petty power plays. (laughs) (laughs) Scotty, I'm going to need you to tie the steering wheel into the wheels. You know, it's one of those things that it's like, I, I would really like the, when I get in my car, I want to be sure that my accelerator is tied in with my steering wheel, those, <laughs> you know, that I can operate both those things at the same time. Simultaneously. Yeah. <laughs> How could you? What a, what a terrible idea. So Kirk leaves the bridge to Sulu for some reason. he's like, Hey, I'm out. Uh, Sulu, you're in charge. And Sulu's like, <sighs> Hey, <laughs> hey, you want to go to the gym? <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> Which, again, certain truths. Hindsight is 2020. <laughs> Let's just say hindsight is 2020. It, it, it plays a little bit differently, but you know. Right. Um, I mean, the, the writers had to know, right? Like, they... They, they had to do stuff like this on purpose. <laughs> I swear, there's so much of the, the language on this show at times where I'm like, is, is that tongue-in-cheek or is it really just innocent? I can't tell. Oh, remind me, that comes up in a little bit, actually. <laughs> yeah, a couple times. Uh, so then Sulu tiptoes out. <laughs> like he's sneaking out of class. Now, first of all, I thought Spock was, Spock was supposed to have these great ears and he could hear everything. Sula and, and Riley are just like, hey, you want to skip a school? I don't think we should. Well, I'm going to buy. <laughs> I'm going to the gym. <laughs> but now I shall tiptoe to make it a secret. <laughs> and then he tiptoes out like Scooby-Doo. <laughs> it was good. <laughs> oh, well. So we go to, uh, we go back to sickbay. And oh, no, Joe's dead. And for some reason, Kirk's really upset about this. I don't think Kirk knew who this guy was yesterday. I'm just being (laughs) honest. Let's see. He was down on the planet. They started to act wacky. Uh, Nah, it's a weak connection. I don't think there's anything. I'm not sure there's a connection, Jim. (laughs) I think he just 
didn't want to be alive. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. It's the apathy thing, right? They, they talked about this before and I get that he's trying to impress upon us that it's the apathy that he just doesn't care. But man, it's, <laughs> Hey, how about some basic epidemiology here? <laughs> Bones is really trying to avoid some sort of malpractice suit on it. It's like, Oh no, you didn't want to live. <laughs> I could have done about it. Oh, you got to Apple did it. Uh, <laughs> she shoved a lighter in there. I don't know. <laughs> she just kept handing me stuff. I, this is clearly not my fault. <laughs> next, time, next time I'll make sure I'm doing, I'm using the proper tools, but you know, again, right. The guy didn't want to live. So I don't know what, now, I don't know what you want from me. We're going to go back to the bridge and we're going to once again establish that the computers on the enterprise don't work because <laughs> Spock has to jump into the driver's seat. Like they're drifting into oncoming traffic. And it's like, Oh no, what's going on? <laughs> now I'm starting to see why uh, you keep your playlists on, on uh, cards and not in the cloud on this ship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it was pretty good. Um, <laughs> O'Reilly is drunk. (laughs) Okay. So I get that they're all infected with this stuff and they're all losing their inhibitions, but to actually be inebriated seemed (laughs) odd because this guy like literally falls down drunk and he just happens to have an Irish name. I'm just saying once again, it pops up. (laughs) I'm, I'm guessing that he actually has a bottle there on the bridge hidden away. And he figured, you know what? I'm starting to feel sick. I'll, I'll just take some medicinal. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's NyQuil. Shut up. <laughs> so Spock forces him out of the chair and Uhura plays designated driver. And I do love that when O'Reilly's speaking with Spock, they keep on cutting to a close-up of his face. And there's some big dude in a yellow tunic sitting at Spock Station. Oh, that's weird. When you go back out, he's not there. When you go back in, he's there. Um, nope, got nothing. I, can't, <laughs> I, I got no story for that one. <laughs> I figured maybe, maybe it was the whole thing. Like you're seeing it in drunken vision. There's an explanation there. <laughs> it's to that's make it. the audience feel like they're going insane, right? <laughs> yeah, Spock tells O'Reilly to get the hell out and go down to sick bay. And as soon as O'Reilly's out the door, Spock's like, hey, security, there's a drunk guy on the way. Um, and you know. security does nothing. Well, of course not. Because security's <laughs> like, oh, God, Spock's calling again. Ugh. He's always <laughs> calling us about, you know, oh, Kirk's standing outside my door again. <laughs> Somebody stole my paper. Ugh. This is why by the time we have Next Generation, they actually have a head of security. Right. Because at this point, every time he calls down there, it's like, I don't know. I don't want to do it. You want to do it? I don't want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's here to tell me to do it. Right. Who's highest ranked here? We're what? We're all lieutenants, right? Yeah, I ain't doing it. Even the guys standing outside the, the uh, brig are always just like, I'm going to leave now. <laughs> okay. Do you know um, the life expectancy for my job? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody wants to be in front of the brain. Now, as Riley's walking, as O'Reilly's walking away, he walks through the weird triangle hallway again, where <laughs> this is the one from uh, the earlier episode where we met tennis girl that was on the cage. Um, and then I, every time I see that now, 
I just I can't help but think of tennis girl and the uh, people right. doing front flips through the. Uh, yeah, through the I had somebody reach out to me about this one too, and they said they were also fans of Tennis Girl. You're going to tell us. There's our next show, right? Who tennis was girl. the Enterprise Tennis Girl? Tennis Girl and Leisure Suit Man. <laughs> Actually, it's not a leisure suit. I, what do they call that? I forget. It's like uh, party pants or something like that. <laughs> <sighs> Hey, man, some circles, I am party pants. <laughs> <laughs> so Riley gets to sickbay. <laughs> he's like, oh, no, Joe is dead. <laughs> hey, you're cute. <laughs> <laughs> and Jabal's like, yes, please, uh, please don't put, touch my face. Why is there maple syrup on your hands? <laughs> Okay, so it's funny you do that. Um, so this episode used to be screened at uh, at conventions and people watching in the audience, uh, anytime they did the background noise or somebody <laughs> touched somebody, everybody in the audience would go, Anyway. Now I know the sound to make when I say something stupid next time. Oh, sorry. It was, oh, something's on my hands. Yeah, no, the next time you say something stupid, I'm going to use my classic, which is, you said something stupid. <laughs> That's just mean. I got to stop doing that. To my wife William, does not like it when I do to that. quote William Wyndham, don't you think I know that? <laughs> All right. Now, everybody, this isn't quite the backside of water, but this is one of the several wonders of the world. It's time for topless Sulu with a sword. <laughs> People, this was this generation's magic Mike. Look, he's a little guy and he was skinny as all get out, but man, he was ripped. Yeah. Holy crap. Yeah. Now, um, so after his appearance in the second pilot episode, George Takai accepted the role of Sulu because he got a chance to read this script. <laughs> after he read this script, he's like, oh yeah, that's going to be awesome. <laughs> So he also didn't have any fencing experience though, but because he knew this episode was coming up, he began taking a crash course on in uh, fencing and he loved the scene so much that he held onto the rapier and <laughs> was like poking stage hands with it and doing little tools. <laughs> and uh, apparently in, in, in his autobiography, uh, he said that this was absolutely his favorite episode. <laughs> Now, something I learned just from an interview that was done back in 2015, um, where he talked to Will Wheaton and he talked about the fact that uh, they first of all offered him a samurai sword and he was like, no, no, I don't want to do that because we're in the future now. Our heritage is larger. And so he wanted to use the, the foil and the producer asked him, oh, well, you, so you have fencing um, experience? And of course, being an actor who wants a part, George Guy said, yes, which he actually did not. Um, one of the interesting things, though, is that when he was speaking about the katana sword, he told the producer, hey, listen, I'm an American kid. I didn't grow up playing samurais. I grew up playing cops and robbers. And then after I saw Errol Flynn, I mean, in Robin Hood, I thought that was the thing. So I was like Robin Hood. Yeah. That's what. So. When he needed to take a crash course in fencing, he opened the yellow pages. He found a school 
and went and was taught by somebody he referred to as Mr. Faulkner, who he found out was actually the choreographer for the fight scenes in Robin Hood. That is so freaking cool. And oh actually God. did some of the stand in some of the some of the uh, stand in pieces um, for Rath- uh, Basil Rathbone. No um, kidding. Actually, so he actually stood in for it. him. Oh, yeah. So because uh, uh, Takai was talking about here was this guy that I saw the, you know, the back of his head so many years ago and inspired me. And now he's teaching me. You know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you that know, was something I'd never heard before. That was a kind of a new thing. You should never meet your heroes back of their heads. <laughs> anyway. I'm going to write that down on a card. Right. Stitch it on a pillow. Unfortunately, all that poking stagehands seems to have bent his foil. <laughs> yes, because I'm sure on regular the television at that particular time, it didn't look too bad. But watch it in the remaster. Man, that thing is bent. Right. <laughs> it, um, I don't think it was. I don't think that was a balanced foil. That's all I'm <laughs> So he starts running through the the hallway again, and he confronts a red shirt and a crewman. And he's like, <laughs> "Cowards!" Because <laughs> you know, with a sword, nothing's more cowardly than you know being unarmed and running away from a man attacking you with a sword. <laughs> <laughs> I love the looks on their faces too when he's doing his little speech, and they show just a glimpse of their faces, and they're both like, "What the heck is going on?" <laughs> I am so tweeting this later. <laughs> I, get a, I get off my shift to deal with this. These so that's what's going on below decks. Above decks, Kirk and Spock are like, hmm, I think something might be up. <laughs> <laughs> People are acting just weird. I mean, they seem to be acting in their most douchebaggy manner. Oh, God, it's cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> Of course it is. <laughs> so I, I really like what he starts going in. I was like, well, you know, uh, you know, Joe was tortured and uh, O'Reilly thinks he's a king and uh, Sulu believes he's a swashbuckler. And you see the look on Shatner's face is like, we're giving way more backstory to a minor character that I'm comfortable with. Can we get right. to talking about me? <laughs> well, you know, uh, yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> so they uh, they, they want to figure out what's going on and, and, you know, that they're still heading towards the planet. So they call down to engineering and, well, nobody's home. <laughs> so he's like, hey, Helmsman. And Helmsman, because he doesn't appear to have a name, looks down and starts announcing what's going on. And he is straight up reading his stage directions off of the console. Like, mm-hmm. he, Oh, so do you know who this guy is? I don't. This is Eddie Paskey. In this particular part, he's Lieutenant Ryan. He's going to be in 60 episodes of Star Trek. Is he really? Most of them as Lieutenant Leslie. This is the first appearance. He's Lieutenant Ryan. And he was so nervous in doing these lines that Nimoy actually had to recite the last couple of lines that he was supposed to because he was just so incredibly nervous. You know, I read that story and I didn't put two and two together. That was this guy. Oh man. He does look nervous as all get out. Oh my God. This is, this is the first time Eddie has a speaking line on Star Trek. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, so Kirk decides, 
if nobody's going to answer, I'm just going to go down there. <laughs> you know, that's just what I do. <laughs> also, you know, Spock's stronger, better, smarter, faster <laughs> than him in every way. So makes sense to leave him on the break. Yeah, but you go down there, Jim. I'm sure you'll be able to handle it. <laughs> and then still gets out of the elevator. <laughs> he's all oily. And and he's fabulous. <laughs> so he points his sword at Jim. And what does Jim do? He grabs the sharp point. What are you doing, dude? Don't you know how swords work? <laughs> oh my God. I never knew they were pointy on the end. Right? <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> so, so they're trying to get control of him and Uhura decides to distract him because she's distracting. Right. And he so she does a fan her. dance. <laughs> oh wait, no, that's later. <laughs> and, and tells her that he's going to protect her fair maiden. Now this is one of those things we spoke about of sneaking things past the sensor. And this is one of those things who know if this is intentional, but, some of the writers made a comment of Sue's line of fair maiden, meaning light skinned virgin and Uhura saying, sorry, neither. Oh, wow. For a woman to expose her, her sexual status at that time would have been extremely difficult. So yeah, that's, that's interesting. I didn't catch that at all. So huh. some say I I've read some say, no, the writers kind of snuck that in as mm-hmm. a, as a screw you to NBC and the censors. Other people say, I was like, no, that, that was nothing. So who knows? Interesting. Uh, and then we got to get, get this guy knocked out. So our friendly neighborhood Vulcan is going to do his famous neck pinch <laughs> the very first time. <laughs> so I, uh, where did this come from? Why the neck pinch? So this really was this was something. Uh, one of the things I find really interesting is Nimoy. We're only on the fourth uh, episode of Star Trek, and Nimoy is already trying to expand Spock and and really kind of give some depth to the character. Mm-hmm. One of the things he told Mark Daniels is, I don't think that Vulcans would go hitting people because it seems kind of violent. Yeah, they would probably have some sort of nonviolent way to deal with trying to put somebody out. And reportedly, he was trying to describe it to Daniels, and Daniels like, ah, I, I, what? I don't get what you're talking about. Nimoy said, "Hey, Bill, tell Shatner to come over." Now, they had not really discussed this at all. Shatner just kind of picked up on what was going on. Shatner walks over. Nimoy puts his hand on his shoulder and. Shatner just basically moans, rolls his eyes up into his head and collapses on the floor. That's fantastic. Daniel's just like, yeah, do that. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) I like it. Uh, Then Spock looks down and says, take D'Artagnan here to the sick bay. Not only is this a really good joke from a Vulcan, it's also a pretty darn good three musketeers joke. (laughs) I have Um, to say Spock actually for a Vulcan is pretty funny. Right. (laughs) Um, this probably has more to do also with the fact that everywhere that Sulu was, was running, he was shouting rich Lou. Uh, (laughs) So yeah, it was kind of funny. Um, so it turns out that, uh, the drunken Irishman was not done in sick bay. He headed on down to, uh, engineering 
which probably wouldn't have happened if security had done something. Right. <laughs> so Kirk's got to go find out what's going on. So he finally makes it to engineering, which it took him like half the episode to get there. <laughs> so he finally gets in there. And now what? Well, now we've got, okay. First off, where the hell is Scotty? <laughs> yes. I love his excuse. He told us he wanted us all on the bridge. So we all ran out of the room and then he right. left the door behind us. When does everybody in engineering need to be on the bridge? Right. Also, I, I we've seen enough scenes with engineering that if somebody ran in and was like, I need you to get out of here now, they're all going to stop what they're doing and go, why? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and why are you in engineering? Right. Who are you? <laughs> uh, I can say I'm an engineer. And if somebody told me, evacuate, evacuate, I'd be like, why? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so and given the time frame, I'm really kind of surprised that they didn't do a uh, uh, an Irish versus Scottish drinking scenario. Very true. Yeah, I, I, honestly, that that literally writes itself. <laughs> I, I, I'm surprised that they didn't do that. <laughs> Aside from the fact that Americans in the '60s really couldn't tell the difference between Irish and Scottish, <laughs> <laughs> I do like the fact that your navigator for the ship is completely able to rewire the entire ship so that everything passes through one console. Well, I mean, the entire, did you see the console in engineering? <laughs> There's like four buttons. I, how do they run that thing? It's gotta be. Comp so this is where all the computing power is, is that it's running the engines. Scotty literally pushes four buttons up on the bridge, they've got a thousand buttons and none of them do anything. <laughs> it's really starting to look like Scotty has a union job. <laughs> hey, hey, back away from those four buttons. Those are my four buttons, buddy. Right. Back away. <laughs> yeah. The four buttons are labeled uh, F, R, L, and R. <laughs> right. You touch one of those buttons, you're going to be talking to my steward. That's all I can tell you. <laughs> So Kirk's waiting outside, waiting for the elevator now because he's oh, got to go back upstairs. I, I love this too because this 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 scene, he should have got the Emmy for this because I can feel the angst of somebody waiting for an elevator. Right? <laughs> it's honestly this is one of the most real things that he's ever done or, and ever will do. <laughs> Standing there, pushing that button and pacing back and forth, waiting for the elevator. <laughs> I just gotta get upstairs. <laughs> I do love also the only way to get in. To engineering, go get the schematics. We're going to have to cut this wall open. <laughs> well, I mean, that makes perfect sense, right? <laughs> I wonder, it's surprising that none of the Jeffries tubes go to engineering. Yeah. Yeah. It kind right? of seemed like that would be something that would happen. <laughs> or there might be another door. Although with the ridiculous angle of the Jeffries tubes in, the, in these early episodes, I have a sneaking suspicion that the Jeffries tubes were supposed to be the uh, nacelle pylons. That, that was always were, my, yeah. Right. They were crawling up that angle into the, into the nacelles. Yeah. Anyway. So, so we um, go back to, we go back to the bridge and I do have one question. Everybody's acting nuts, but Lieutenant Uhura. Well, I got nothing. I, I'm just saying the woman can hold her booze. Right. I mean, that's, that's, that's really how, how this works. <laughs> so Spock decides that uh, he's got to figure some stuff out. 
So he's going to do some math. So he uh, starts to figure out the, the amount of time they've got before impact. And he's using a device that is actually an E6B flight computer. Uh, apparently, pilots still use this to this day. Uh, this is a, a Jeppesen CSG-1P slide graphic computer. It's a slide rule. Uh, it, but it's a slide rule with a spinny bit on it that I guess helps you to figure out some more advanced mathematics. Um, apparently, the same one was used in the, uh, in the Corbomite maneuver. <clears throat> excuse me, Mud's Women and Wolf in the Fold. Um, I just thought it was kind of cool. I, I always love it when when there's actually a branded product that they're yes. using that there's no real changes to. It just makes me happy. It's one of those things too that it's a nice thing for people watching at a time if you're actually in that industry. It's like, hey, I know what he's doing using right there. Well, think about it this way. Uh, today in 2023, you could be a pilot who's like, Oh, I had to use one of those in flight school. That's so cool. <laughs> it was kind of similar to, uh, my brother worked as a, as a, uh, in a restaurant for many years. And any time that in, uh, deep space nine, the Klingons get together, he would have to point out, I like how they all drink wine out of like kitchen measuring cups. <laughs> right. <laughs> So, or, yeah, uh, I've got a bunch. If you ever want to clean on cups, I've got a bunch of those in the restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> when I was uh, I was working with a, a crew at a data center, and we had to scan a whole bunch of machines, so I went shopping for barcode scanners, and that's how I found out that the weird devices on the consoles in the first uh, uh, Kelvin Star Trek movie. Those were all <laughs> grocery store scanners, <laughs> the, the little pistol grip scanners. So much changed when Kirk's dad died. So, much. <laughs> so uh, Ahura just can't get O'Reilly to stop singing. Um, he he also talks about going to a dance in the bowling alley. Okay. <laughs> we never actually see in the show, but they are included in the original blueprints. That is true. That is true. There There is actually a bowling alley in the set. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It, it's weird. Um, so, he he is in engineering. Um, like that's where we go when we need to do what he's doing. Which I, makes I sense. I don't really understand. I, the dialogue gets real weird here. And nothing's <laughs> really making a whole lot of sense. <laughs> we know that basically he's control. They keep on talking about channels. He has all the channels, but basically he has control over the ship. Right. Uhura is trying to bypass him so she can communicate with the rest of the ship. And he keeps on cutting her off declares that because she did that, she's getting no ice cream, which is like, dude, <clears throat> ice cream. Come on. Come on. You're, you're, you're drunk. You're not a jerk. Right. It was about that time that the planet reminds us there are no, no seatbelts seat on, on the bridge. bridge. <laughs> <laughs> they start rocking and rolling. <laughs> That's some good stuff. They do get thrown around. And of course, Dr. McCoy, first thing he does is get on the horn up to the bridge, say, hey, stop <laughs> it. <laughs> I got a dead guy in here. He almost touched me. <laughs> that's the first thing I think of. If I were the ship's doctor, I would start bitching about the roughness of the ride. Right. Oh, yeah. Sorry. We totally forgot. Oh, sorry about that. We did, What were we thinking? <laughs> oh, dear. So... Uh, we we flash over to Scotty, who is now in a Jeffrey's tube. Hey, call back Jeffrey's tube. Jeffrey's tube. 
and he's trying to get a little bit of power and he's going to start cutting. I still say that Jeffrey Stube should lead into engineering, but whatever. He's going to cut stuff. <laughs> uh, the whole time we've got really bad drunk Irish singing going on over the intercom. <laughs> Not cool, guys. Not cool. I'm really sorry that uh, that Kirk didn't try to like enter into a, uh, a duet with him. Because, I mean, hey, you know, it worked for Picard with Data, right? You know? So, <laughs> I mean, it's... <laughs> 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 so <laughs> he starts cutting into the wall and, and i love the pattern also because the pattern looks like a uh, that he uh, puts on the wall to cut around it looks like a minecraft version of the state of texas right it's kind of crazy like why was he going in that weird design <laughs> like I, I, I couldn't figure out like, why didn't you just cut a big square and then reach in and do whatever you got to do? No, no, he's got to be real intricate. If he hit, if he hit the wrong thing, they would blow up. Right. But if you look at the design he made, it was still a closed circuit. So <laughs> it's going to cut something. <laughs> That's how circles work. Anyway. Only the right things. <laughs> <laughs> the problem was we keep on packing these doors with, ex- or these walls with explosives. And I know there's explosives here. And here. <laughs> <laughs> right here. So I'm going to cut right here. So then Scotty's like, you know, uh, he, he takes the thing off the wall and now he's got to shoot it with a phaser. Cause I, okay. Um, <laughs> a cutting so, phaser. Right. So he, he shoots a phaser at it and there's all kinds of, like sparks coming out and there is a perfect, beautiful phaser beam fired right at the wall. That's been there since 1966. <laughs> well, no, it, oh, okay. it was nicely put in because in the original version, you saw absolutely no effect other than Scotty holding the phaser and sparks coming out of the wall. Now, of course we just have swing because he has it in cutting mode. The beam is so tight and small that you couldn't see it with the bare eye. But mm-hmm. when they remastered it, they're like, no, put it in there. Right. They're like if Star Trek or if Star Wars taught us anything, you, you gotta have the flashy bit. <laughs> <laughs> so Spock goes for a walk. <laughs> He's heading down to talk to Dr. McCoy, who isn't at home right now because Dr. McCoy had to go to the lab because nobody would answer him at the lab because for some reason in the Enterprise, your biopsy lab is far away from your sick bay. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> also, what's going on on the Enterprise that they need an entire biopsy lab? There's only like 400 people there. What the <laughs> hell? Yeah, but we really, really like to take biopsies. <laughs> Doc, I bumped my elbow. I think I need a Band-Aid. Oh, maybe we should do a biopsy. So Spock first runs into a guy who is laughing hysterically. And I got to add it to this guy, whoever this actor was. He threw himself into it. Yeah. (laughs) Laughing maniacally. He he really pulled it off. Can you imagine though? I wonder if that was like take six. He started <laughs> off. He's like, hey, and the director's like, no, no, I need bigger. <laughs> no, no, no. Bigger. <laughs> <laughs> and and he has a paintbrush in his hand and when Spock walks down the hall you see that he painted love mankind on the wall and you'll see yeah. the look on Spock's face and all he can think is like I I really don't get 23rd century human humor it's, right? it's, <laughs> or I, uh, is that supposed to be racist I don't <laughs> I don't get it you expect him to turn around and yell back it wasn't that funny 
And then, of course, we we wouldn't have any episode of Star Trek without somebody harassing the crap out of <sighs> Ensign Rand. Janice Rand. The poor <sighs> woman. Not Ensign Yeoman. I did it again. She just, yeah, it's, and it's going to get worse. When we do the next yeah. episode of the show, it's going to get even worse. Poor Rand. But yeah, I mean, she's, the guy is blocking her way. Spock says, get out of her way. He gets out of her way. Spock walks off, jumps right back in her way. Yep. <laughs> yeah, well. And then, and then Scotty and Spock spend, spend four minutes discussing how they don't have a minute and a half to spare. Right? <laughs> We've got no time to spare. Are you You've sure? Well, that. let's discuss it for a minute. Yes. Take down your phaser that you already <laughs> didn't have time to finish this, and let's discuss it for a while and remind you, you don't have enough time. You just aren't going to have enough time. I'm going to have enough time. No, you are. Yes, I am. No, you are. Okay, anyway, I'm back to it. <laughs> right. So then we get back to the bridge, and it's Uhura, Kirk, and Rand. This is not going to end well. <laughs> now, Rand is steering the ship. Yeah. And there's like a tickle fight or something. It's, <laughs> I don't know. It's not good. And Kirk and her yelling at each other. And Kirk is like, I'm sorry. And gives her a little smirk. And <laughs> she she's goes, like, did he just apologize? <laughs> like, Holy crap. That's <laughs> never happened before. And he knows I'm better at my job than he is at his. So. Right? No kidding. <laughs> so Spock shows up by himself and Nurse Chapel's like, hey, Spock, how's it going? Here, have some alien blood disease. <laughs> <laughs> what, what is her line? The men on your planet treat your women strangely. Wait, a human saying that's What does that mean? Oh, no, no, no. She says, by human standards. <laughs> At least that's what they say. Okay, <laughs> you've been on Twitter. That's what oh, they man. say. People all the time coming up to me, telling me, Vulcans treat other women strange. <laughs> you, think we're, you think we're weird? Just wait till you meet the Ferengi. <laughs> the thing I find funny about this is that you know there was some underlying thing there that like the writers were like, oh man, I can't wait. We're going to put this in a future episode. And they eventually got shot down as people were like, uh, no, you're not doing that. We decided to make Vulcan women, I don't know, really difficult to deal with. We just went that way instead. (laughs) So Spock is like instantly drunk. Yeah, he gets this fast. Right. I'm... I'm in control of my emotions. <laughs> <laughs> and here's the thing. If you have to say it out loud, it's probably not true. <laughs> and then all of a sudden she's like, I love you. I don't know why, but I love you. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly British or at least continental. <laughs> Spock's like, uh, yeah, well, um, yeah, uh, I got some stuff going on and it's kind of, you know, this is kind of a bad time for me. <laughs> He's super wasted. It's like that time that he tried Terran ale. (laughs) (laughs) Call this pale ale, do you? So Spock once goes out and wanders and is just looking horrible. And we go back to Scotty and Scotty is finally cut through the metal to get to the door. You mean the, the, 
piece of not hot at all metal that he just picks <laughs> yes, up. The smoky metal that he grabs with his hand and throws to the side. <laughs> I'm going to guess that it's 1966. They just assumed everything was made of plastic. There was no such thing as metal anymore. If it was plastic, couldn't you have done the same thing with, I don't know, a, a Dremel tool? Right. <laughs> no, no, no. It's tough, tough plastic. <laughs> tough plastic. Like, it's like that plastic. transparent aluminum plastic. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Spock's not doing well. So they finally get in engineering and they regain control of the ship. And and uh, Kirk picks up uh, Riley and throws him to the security guards. Says, get him out of here. <laughs> and Spock. So... <clears throat> We're gonna have a little scene with Spock here. This is the this is the the big big scene for Nimoy. Ugh. I don't like this scene. No, no. I know people do. I don't. <laughs> well, originally, and I don't understand the things I read. I don't understand that originally, the scene was supposed to be Spock seeing some sort of sight gag, and that's what they oh. were gonna use. Okay. Nimoy really wanted again Nimoy's really working on developing Spock as a character and Nimoy tells him I I think there should be something much more poignant something with real inner and the production is wrapping up and Daniels tells him listen you got one shot do it Mm -hmm. and Nimoy basically does this entire thing ad-libs it all and they do it all in one shot now, I read that there actually was a little bit more to this too, though. Apparently, he kind of workshopped it a little bit with the writers. And uh, he was sitting with them and he just started crying for no reason is how it was, is how I read this. Okay. I don't know if that's like he was just screwing around and was like, watch guys, I can just start crying. <laughs> or if like something was going on and he, he just lost it all of a sudden. But the writers liked it and were like, spot cries. And then he was the one who was like, I'm going to address this scene. And he made it up. Ah, interesting. But I mean, it's, it's one of those things that uh, I'm sure there's like 40 different ways that it all came together. <laughs> now, one thing I read about this also is that this scene was cited as causing a, a dramatic increase in Nimoy's fan mail, um, specifically from female viewers. However, this is one of those things of, I'm not sure, this is only the fourth episode of this show. Yeah. How much fine mail are they getting? Okay. So he got one letter and it was from the NBC executive's daughter. That was it. (laughs) Dramatic increase in female viewers. There you go. But it was the 60s. People did write letters. It's true. And to be honest- it's probably one of those things that they just weren't used to seeing men cry on TV. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a very right. good point. It's it, it was seen as so weak that it wouldn't have been done. At least not very often. Especially with a leading character like that. That's a really yeah, good point. Yeah, totally. So Scotty discovers the engines are cold and it's going to take 30 minutes to Turn them back on. This seems like really, really bad engineering. Like, <laughs> I don't think I would design a ship like this. Well, this is all going to get very, very weird. Even by Star Trek standards, this is going to get a little bit weird. Right. Um, exactly. The physics that they're going to, they're going to well, say some off, words that really don't seem to make any sense. If we're going to talk about violating laws of nature, 
Physics isn't the first one. The first one is Kirk trying to turn knobs that <laughs> are clearly not turny bits. <laughs> and he's just like, wee, 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 moving stuff all over on this console and there's nothing moving. <laughs> so it's good stuff. Somebody does not want to admit they really don't know how a lot of the stuff on their ship works. Right? He's like, oh, oh, the cameras are here. Oh, he's like Michael Scott in the office. <laughs> oh yeah, I know how this works. So yeah, so they're they're hurtling towards the planet. They got they need thirty minutes to restart, and right when they say that, Uhura pops up and says, "Yeah, we got about eight minutes." Well, the problem here is that you can't mix matter and antimatter. Cold, you have to heat them up. Uh, and cool, and, yeah, yeah. Because James is like, "Hey, I got an idea. Let's do it this way: a controlled." <laughs> implosion of whoa (laughs) (laughs) okay so i mean i think i know a little bit about the theory behind how warp engines are supposed to operate i have no idea what they're talking about no 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 plus uh a controlled implosion is not great to be inside of a (laughs) ship if it's inside of something, that ain't going to be good. And, and this is the this is, is the problem of my antimatter and my matter are cold. And right. they need to be warmed up. You need 30 minutes to warm them. You need you to know what? It's like living in Michigan. You, you got to have that antimatter warming system <laughs> so that, you know, when it's real cold out, you hit the button on your key fob before you go out there. See now it's I was warm it all up. <laughs> I, w- I was really interested actually in this part of the episode because I hadn't seen it in so long, and I was going to try to come up with some sort of rationalization. I was thinking, okay, the thirty minutes—that's how long it takes you to charge the, all the field coils and the nacelles. Mm-hmm. However, you wouldn't need that for impulse. Impulse runs completely separate from the nacelles and the, and the field coils there, so you wouldn't need that. So that doesn't make sense. Um. Then when they start talking about, and they, but they specifically say, no, no, it's the matter and antimatter problem. Right. And that just pretty much blew it for me. It's like, I have no idea how to do this. I have no you idea how to rationalize this. This is a perfect situation where we can see that they still do not have a show Bible. Yes. Because all they would have had to do is fire the reverse rockets. <laughs> Spock has already called it out. He's already said they have them. That's got to be in the Bible. <laughs> Fire the reverse rockets. They would have been right out of there. No problem. Yeah, we took the rockets off when Chris Pike left. <laughs> yeah, we we got rid of those. <laughs> feel kind of bad about it now, but oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> so McCoy, McCoy figures it out. He knows what's going on complex water molecules acted like alcohol in the brain. Now I did a deep dive on this one because apparently there was a weird theory going around in the sixties based on a scientific discovery that made it into newspapers. Basically there was an experiment done where they started distilling water down as much as they possibly could, like thousands upon thousands of gallons of water. And they ended up with this little bit left over at the end that was really weird. It acted very strange and it was highly viscous 
but it was still water and they couldn't figure out what was going on with it. And so they were, there was this fear that if this kind of water made it out into the general population, it could be seriously deadly to the population. Unfortunately, um, that, <laughs> that message got out in the world and made people scared of water before the scientists were like, uh, yeah, we, we realized what happened. That was actually the fingerprint oil from all of us touching the beakers and it, <laughs> that mixed with the water distilled down into this, this, this highly viscous thing. It was basically fingerprint oil. And, and, and if you've ever seen fingerprint oil from scientists who are willing to distill <laughs> water thousands of times, yeah, it's going to be a little weird. But anyway, this was, this was actually something that was in the news at the time they were writing this. So it's completely possible that that's actually why they wrote complex water molecules into this because it was an, a national scare, weirdly enough. That is amazing. That is amazing. <laughs> so Spock's, so sorry. So Dr. McCoy figures the whole thing out by injecting Sulu with something he doesn't know is going to work. And Sulu sits up and screams. And says, hey, what am I doing here? I was on the bridge. <laughs> Bones is like, well, he's good. Get him out. Bones <laughs> like, release him. <laughs> I love Leonard McCoy's style. I mean, that's right. We're not going to go through any discharge papers. We're not, you're not staying here for an I, examination. I've you know what? It feels my theory. Yeah. <laughs> now that my theory's figured out, I put it in this here syringe and there we go. Now get out of here. I made him better. He's okay out i mean in all fairness beverly crusher does the same thing <laughs> he always is like well this little red plant that's been growing on my desk for the last month i figured out how to distill something from it i jammed it into this <laughs> hypo spray and psh, there you go you're good now you are now no longer de-evolved her, her sick bay was kind of a turn and burn type thing <laughs> totally nobody is staying in here more than two days that's just not the way we do it Listen, she's the only person running an entire galaxy class vessel. That makes perfect sense. <laughs> so of course she's got to act fast. <laughs> Sorry. That's, that is, God, that might be my very favorite episode of TNG. It's so good. Does that it's remember me? The disappear. Yeah. The yeah. disappearing universe. Yeah. Oh, I just saw so that good. not long ago. So good. Anyway. Uh, so da -da 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 -da. Kirk is trying to find Spock because he needs, he wants to implode the engines. Yeah. And he needs, and Scotty tells him, oh, we need a, a computer running. Like we'd need a whole bank of computers running a month to get that sort of formula. And Spock is like, oh no, I know a really smart guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Spock, sh Kirk shows up and Spock is basically doing the pity party. <laughs> I never told my mom I loved her. Um, things are really weird with my dad. And so, there's only one way out of this. The only way you can handle mental health issues in the 1960s. <laughs> Kirk starts slapping the crap out of him. <laughs> I don't know the cure, but I know how to slap. <laughs> he slaps well, look on Spock's face. <laughs> Oh man, he's the first one to think if you were any man, any other man, I would kill you where you stand. I love the line too, Jim. When I feel friendship for you, I am ashamed. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure Jim gets that a lot. Right. 
<laughs> and then, of course, Spock throws him over a table. Backhands him right across the table, which is enough to get Kirk sick. <laughs> and <laughs> did Kirk just stand up and slap the intercom after that? <laughs> yes, I love that. Uber is asking him, hey, have you found Spock? Yes, I found Spock. We don't see the table, but the motion of his head, it looks like he slaps the intercom. <laughs> right? So, so at this point, slapping is just going to be pretty much the solution to everything. Well, everybody's got a thing when they get this disease. That's Kurt. <laughs> um, also, he's instantly drunk too, which is weird because it was just him and Spock. Everybody else took a while. Yeah, he really can't hold his like the two of them water didn't molecules. even get sticky hands or anything. Yeah, he immediately oh, wow. goes in the like, oh, oh, you think you have problems? I have a ship. That won't let me go. And at this point, this is just kind of one of those, like, you're kind of crying about the stuff you did to yourself, so I'm not really buying it. This isn't, sorry, sorry, Jim, this just sounds like whiny stuff here. Right. I can't, I can't live my own life. I have to live hers, which is almost kind of poetic considering how Star Trek affected his life. (laughs) Yeah, right? Absolutely. (laughs) It's like, whoa, that's kind of a prophetic line right there, because, yeah, that's going to kind of happen to you a little bit. <laughs> and then of course he's got to start ogling a, a yeoman again. Oh, oh! Again, he has to bring up that yeoman of mine. Oh, yeah. Sure, <laughs> love didn't notice her, Spock. Yeah, no, he's not. Seriously, <laughs> there's like three seasons of stories just from the HR department. <laughs> That's that I, the next Star Trek I want to see. Dude, <laughs> Star Trek HR. Oh my god. <laughs> It's just like six Klingons and Kirk. In the <laughs> How many times are we going to have to go through this training, Jim? <laughs> he's, he's sitting there and he's like, oh, I just, I just wish I had a few days without a braid on my shoulder. You don't have a braid on your shoulder. <laughs> Dude, look at your shoulders. Right? <laughs> and I like that he gets so morose. The look on Spock's face is like, is that what I just looked like? Oh, uh, you know what? I'm better. Right. <laughs> Jeez man, Louise. That guy is losing it. <laughs> I think we're starting to understand why it is that he's going to steal this ship three times. <laughs> Jeez Louise. Scotty walks in and Kirk is still tripping. And and Spock is pretty much okay. We're going to implode the engines now. I'll call it in from the fridge. We're going to we're going we're going to go ahead right. and take care of this. And I, I do have to say, when Scotty walks in, the way he's walking around, that dude's throwing his back out. <laughs> like he's, uh, oh, I got this. <laughs> Jeffrey tubes are really really small oh, and cramped. <laughs> I totally feel for him. And again, Scotty seems fine, but again, I'm just going to assume that. Scotty knows how to hold his liquor and has been doing his job drunk for a long, long time. Right. <laughs> He's like, do you understand what it's like to drink green? <laughs> <laughs> I do like the whole thing also that Kirk tells him, okay, guys, we're going to do this. I need to get at the bridge. So clear the hallways <laughs> and the turbo lift. Cause I don't want anybody between, I don't want to say hi to anybody. I don't want anybody between this right. room and the bridge. <laughs> and then his little thing before he leaves though, and this is the creepy thing you see a glimpse of just the dark dark obsession of Jim Kirk when he looks at his ship and says never gonna lose you 
was like, that's scary. (laughs) You know, he got better and was like, yeah, isn't it weird? It made us say all that weird stuff. (laughs) Bones is like, I'm telling you, you're getting a therapist. (laughs) It's not like I would go ahead and pretty much ruin my entire career and the career of all my friends just to, I don't know, steal the ship again. Right. <laughs> hey, Bones, how do you feel about, I don't know, Klingon prison? Okay. <laughs> so as soon as Bones steps onto the bridge, he rips Kurt's shirt. <laughs> it's a hypo spray. They go through your shirt. All I can think is that that was just one of those days that Bones really didn't like the shirt you chose. Right. He preferred the oh, yeah. green thing. And, uh, oof. Now the antidote is going to take a while. Kurt is instantly drunk when he gets sick, but the antidote's like, "Eh, we'll get there eventually. And he never screams. He never does the Sulu scream. I thought everybody at some point should have done the Sulu scream. You know what? After he dosed Sulu, Bones realized he accidentally put cayenne in it. And so he thought he'd just take that out. (laughs) If you feel better, Sulu, scream. (laughs) Oh, it seems to have worked. Right. And he's got to turn around and be creepy to Yeoman Rand again. Oh, oh, yes. Just the little, the little look and the, uh, the pitifulness as he, uh, as he stares at her. And what does he say? No beach to walk on. Yeah, Jim. Ew. Your life is rough. <laughs> She's like, I wouldn't walk on the beach with you if you were like, I don't know, bones. Because... <laughs> Bones is amazing. (laughs) There was the lost story that we never knew. (laughs) Human Rand really had it for Dr. McGoy. Right. So things get really loud. We got to implode because implosions are loud, I guess. (laughs) Yes. They sound like a phaser on overload for some reason, but I get, I'm guessing any large amount of power that runs anywhere on the ship is just going to sound like a phaser on overload. So now we get to the part that we heard earlier, or that we were talking about earlier, where I didn't get it. I feel dumb now, but whatever. So they go backwards in time. So the the, like the when, when Huey Lewis in the news kicked in and started playing back in time, <laughs> I should have gotten that. I really should. have. Sorry. So yeah, they do the the because the 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 navigator says, "Well, where do you want us to go?" And Kirk's just like, "I don't know the way we came." I believe you mean, when do we want to go? <laughs> Thank you, Constable Reggie. <laughs> Almost made it. Almost made it through a whole episode. <laughs> I said Greg Daniels at the beginning. Come on. <laughs> All right. <sighs> so, so the Enterprise, by imploding his engines, ends up going so fast that Ooh, it travels back man. in time. Now, this ending would make sense if this were a two-parter and they're back in time, but we have no idea because that didn't happen. We have no idea when we watch this episode fresh of like, why is this part in here? Why was this important? Why this added nothing to our story whatsoever, but they learned how to go back in time, which means eventually we're going to be able to go get some whales. Also, it means eventually we're going to have time loops where we get to repeat the same thing over and over again. Uh, this it. is true. Okay, I, I'm a sucker for a time loop episode. I love time loop episodes. They're my favorite. Terrible anyway. causality loop. Oh, they're so good. <laughs> so 
especially when data is the only one who can tell that they're moving <laughs> through time. Okay. Yeah, because uh, you might end up you might end up meeting Kelsey Grammer. Dun 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 Phoebe's Frazier. <laughs> Ooh, then he could be Kirk's therapist. <laughs> it's all yeah. coming together. Right? That's what happened. Right. Morgan Bateson, Captain Morgan Bateson was Kirk's oh. therapist and got pushed forward through time, which ended up Kirk Back. never got a second therapist and no, it falls into place. No. Oh, that's what happened. Okay. Bateson was his therapist. He unfortunately had a malfunction that caused him to slingshot around the sun, landing him back in 1991. He was stranded on earth, couldn't figure out what to do. So he used his psychology degree to become a radio therapist in Seattle. Dude, dude, I thought we weren't going to do any spoilers for Picard seasons three. You just gave away the entire ending. No, that's season four. <laughs> the lost season. The <laughs> season four, the voyage home. Oh man. It was right there. Oh, <laughs> okay. So the enterprise goes back to normal. They went back three days. Uh, they look at the chronometer and cause it was going backwards. And uh, it, it is kind of funny in the remaster. They put in numbers in the original. It was one of those flappy clocks. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why they took it out and decided to do the numbers <laughs> instead, but it's good stuff. Um, yeah. So and they, they find out there are 70 days in the 70, pardon me, 70 hours in the past. Woo-hoo. They say we got three more days to, uh, and here's the thing. After all this happened, they're not even going back to the, to planet side 2000 again to study it and get more of it. They're just like, all right, we did what we're supposed to do. We're out. Well, I mean, they're, they got to go back in time three days and still have memories of it. True. But when they show up to Starbase 57, they're going to say, uh, oh, yeah, why didn't you do this early? Aren't you supposed to be at Psi 2000? That's true. <laughs> hey, we've got all this. No, this has to be fake data because Psi 2000 oh. is blowing up right now. And so they didn't even did like you- put out a, a, a beacon or anything to be like, don't go down there. <laughs> That's, That's going to make you do shirtless sword fighting. You don't want to do that. <laughs> it's got the, it's got the, the international picture of a guy with his clothes on, taking a shower in the circle of the slicer. <laughs> <laughs> don't party too hard folks. <laughs> and that's really the moral of the naked time. Don't party too hard, especially at work. Can I just say, you just said the sentence. That's the moral of the naked time. Don't party too hard, especially at work. That's a great sentence. I want that on a t-shirt. Maybe we'll make that on a t-shirt. All right. Uh, that's the naked time. It's real super weird. Uh, it, it's a lot of fun, but yeah, it's super weird. Um, yeah, that's a thing. It is definitely one of the iconic episodes for yes. sure. And yes. it's all because of George Takei. Yes. Yes. So So, here's the thing. If you thought that Kirk was dealing with a lot of issues in this episode, those issues were all just going on in his head. Next episode, he gets to meet himself in person and his little dog too. I mean, he's not going to make out with himself yet, right? No, no. He's going to be, he's going to be bad and he's going to be pitiful and he's going to be in separate rooms while he's doing it. Goodness gracious. Next episode the, is the enemy within. The so, enemy within. 
when the enemy within gets out, we will talk about it. Nice. Well, thank you everybody for sticking with us. This has been fun. Um, yeah. Thanks for joining us. Yes. Uh, just want to send a little shout out to our friends over at five year mission for the use of their song. Beam down as our intro and outro. Thank you. And make sure you head on over to five year mission.net and check out their stuff. They do a, uh, a song for every episode of the original series organized into albums for each season. Uh, awesome. It's really good stuff. And uh, they're available on Apple uh, or excuse me, Apple music and on uh, Spotify as well as I think there's a way to purchase on their website as well. Uh, yeah. Check them out. Throw them some business. They're really good stuff. Anyway, that's our show. Thanks everybody. Thank you all. Stargate 832, 2016.